I'm your host, Seth Day. I use he, they pronouns, and you're listening to Rad Child Podcast. All right. First of all, thanks so much for joining us for another episode. I'm very excited this week. We're uh, we're continuing talking about disabilities. We're talking about visible disabilities this week. Uh, and I have some lovely guests with me who I'm going to invite to introduce themselves. So my name's Charlie. My pronouns are he, him. I'm from Brooklyn, New York, and I grew up in uh, North Central Pennsylvania. And um, I was a nanny for several years. I've done some tutoring and nannying work for kids with various disabilities as well as having a disability myself. I have cerebral palsy, so that's something I've had since birth. And so I grew up uh, sort of enmeshed in the dialogue around kids and disability because I was a disabled kid. Hi, my name is Jessica Roberts. Um, I use she, her pronouns. I live in Phoenix, Arizona. I'm originally from Westchester County, New York. I um, used to teach. I taught K through six reading. I'm also a mom. Um, I have a two and a half year old son. I have a spinal cord injury. I'm a T6 to T8 paraplegic, and I was injured when I was 18. Uh, Okay, so uh, my name is Lindsay Blankenship. Um, and I live in Denver, Colorado, and um, I have two children, a six-year-old and a three-year-old, both little boys, um, and my disability is I have a rare genetic eye um, disease called retinitis pigmentosa, and uh, what it does is slowly takes away your peripheral vision and causes night blindness until you eventually lose all sight. Thank you for sharing. Also, what pronouns do you use? What do you mean? What pronouns do I use? Oh, great. That's a great (laughs) question. So like when people, when people talk about me, I ask them to use like he or they pronouns. So when people talk about you, like, Oh, you can just say she, she wonderful. Amazing. Thank you guys so much for sharing. I think I, I think I might hear, do I hear your two-year-olds in the background a little bit? Yes, a little bit. Um, <laughs> I love that. Room. No, that's totally okay. I'm just like, I think I hear small children. <laughs> uh, it's an occupational hazard, right? Yeah. Um, I wanted to start by just sort of in this podcast, we talk about a lot of um, you know, a lot of the things that maybe topics that maybe we're not prepared necessarily to talk to kids about. Um and so I'm curious if there was ever a time, and it's okay if there wasn't, but a time that a child asked you a question that you weren't prepared to answer. So for me, really not, because since I grew up having my disability and my mother was really a hugely strong advocate for me and also for me having language around what I was dealing with. Um, in fact, she mm-hmm. would doctors would ask her when I was about, two or three, you know, does this hurt him? And she'd be like, I don't know. Ask him. It's his body. Cause my mom's great like that. So, <laughs> um, so for that, you know, she was very good at advocacy for, for me on my behalf and also teaching me how to do it. And the kids that were asking questions were kids my own age. So I would just be like, no, I have cerebral palsy. And I was, you know, a precocious and snotty kid. So I like used big words and it scared all the other kids. (laughs) That was my method. (laughs) I love that. 
And I also want to clarify, totally can be disability, disability related, doesn't have to necessarily be. Um, oh, like I was trying to think about this actually. And I do, I think I oftentimes, I shouldn't say often, but, um, as I've gotten older, because of my eyesight, I look at things very closely, you know, and kids are very honest. And so whether it's my older son or one of his friends or uh, will say, oh, my gosh, why do you look at that so closely? And I think it's more surprising because I'm so used to it and I know my family is used to it. So then um, kids yeah. who are not aware of that, you know, of course, it catches me off guard because I know how to talk to my kids about it. But you never know with other people's kids how much they've educated them mm-hmm. or had an open dialogue yeah. about people with disabilities. So I never quite have a good um, statement in return. So I normally will just say something along the lines of, oh, you know, um, my eyes just have a really hard time seeing super small print. So I either have my magnifying glass out or I tend to things look at things really closely. And most of the time, because they're kids yeah. and they're on to the next activity, they don't ask anything further. But, you know, sometimes they'll ask, like, well, why can't you? And again, I try to stay very surface yeah. level unless I know the parents very well. And then I feel comfortable, you know, divulging yeah. into more detail. So when I was um, student, I wasn't really student teaching. I was observing in college and I was observing at my old elementary school and a kindergartner asked me how I went to the bathroom. I was only injured probably about a year. <laughs> oh my and, gosh. And I said, I don't know. Um, and I kind of had to think, I was like, oh, just like you. <laughs> and she was like, really? <laughs> Are you sure? I'm like, yes. I'm Are you sure? sure. Yeah. And I just thought <laughs> oh it was so God. interesting because I never thought a child would ask that. I just, I, I wouldn't have asked that, I guess, as a kid. So I just kind of assumed nobody would ask, but. I think yeah. I did a good job. And she was like, okay. And she skipped away. <laughs> yeah. So, well, that's the good thing is once you give them an answer, they're just like, all right, yes. that's fine. Absolutely. Most of the time they accept the answer. Sometimes they'll challenge you depending on the age. But mm-hmm. with young kids, they're just well, they like, just want to okay. know. Yeah. Um, and so as soon as you give them anything, yeah. they're like, cool, now I know. And What's interesting is I actually am publishing a, a blog post today on my blog that um, – is how I talk to my children about my disability. And my thing always is Mm. if my kid, like if my oldest Kellen wants to ask me a question, it was never on my mind to say, Oh my gosh, I'm just going to inundate them with everything about my eyes so that they're fully prepared. No, it's as they notice things or as he see noted, like sees things that his daddy does that I don't, if he's curious about it and wants to ask the questions, great. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, I am not, it's, he's a kid. He doesn't need to be concerned about mommy's disability right now. I want him to be aware of it and be empathetic, you know, to others have disabilities, but he doesn't need to be concerned with all the details. He's six, you know? (laughs) No. And again, it's like, I don't, they don't think they want to, not like they don't care, but you know what I mean? They're, that's not what they're asking. I have a similar, of course, like as a trans person, I, yeah. I'm always relating everything to that experience. But I um, one time had a kid who he was three and we were, he, he still needed help going to the bathroom. So I would go in the bathroom with him and just like, you know, three-year-olds 
do. He was like, I have a penis. Do you have a penis? Like, well, mm-hmm. in the context of the bathroom. And I was like, no, I don't. I was like, I have a vagina. You know, some boys have vaginas yeah. and some boys have penises. Some girls have vaginas. Some girls have penises. And he was like, really? And I was yeah. like, yeah. And he was like, okay, cool. Let's go play with trains. Like, that was the whole conversation. Right, like, he right. didn't, he wasn't like, tell me about, you know, gender. Like, you know, like, and every so often, like, every couple of days, he would like, or every once a week or so, he would like check in. He'd be like, "So some girls can have that, some yeah, be like, yeah, yeah be like, totally." Cool. <laughs> like it was fine. Um, but it's funny how you know they'll yes. they're really good at asking right, you know, right. the question that getting the information that they need. Um, but sometimes it's like you know, like and I was prepared sure. for that because kids ask me questions like that a lot. Um, but I think probably the first time a kid asked me that, I was like, you know, it's hard to know. And I think mm-hmm. we rehearse sometimes, right? I think that's why it's good to practice to, you know, sometimes I'll just right. sit and think like, if someone asked me this question, how would I answer it? Or, um, or even just through, you know, different, having multiple experiences right. and sort of honing yes, in absolutely. your answer, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm curious, um, just for folks who may or may not know, um, First of all, just could you like talk a little bit about your disability and or do you identify as disabled um, and a little bit about that? Because not, you know, not everyone necessarily identifies with that word. Yeah. Um, So I have cerebral palsy, which is a stroke like brain injury uh, before or shortly after birth is sort of the very broad category they put it in. Um, mm-hmm. And there's different variations on that, depending on which part of your body is affected. I have right side hemiplegia. So that means that like my right arm doesn't straighten all the way. I walk with a pronounced limp. I have a lot of spasticity in my body. Um, so muscle tightness and, and like inability to straighten. I startle really easily, which is also a thing that people with CP frequently have. So like, mm. I can't do like a haunted house, even though I love that kind of thing. Cause jumping out at me is a bad plan. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so that's kind of how it manifests in the world. I do at this point wear a brace on my right foot and calf. So that's a little bit visible. It's not super noticeable but the limp is so that's kind of there um but i don't usually i have a cane that i use sometimes but i don't have a lot of external uh mobility devices or anything like that um that might change in the future like the cane is even new for me so like Mm -hmm. there's there's fewer things to notice other than why do you walk like that which is the common question i get from small ones it's like why do you walk like that? Because it it is a different way of moving than they've seen before. Um, So that's that. And then I actually identify specifically as a disabled person rather than a person with a disability. Mm -hmm. And that's something that's really contentious, I think, in the disability community of um, person-first language. And I really don't resonate Mm -hmm. with person-first language at all. Because mm. you, because my disability is so, has always been my body. I didn't acquire this disability. This body wouldn't exist without it. Um, my body would be fundamentally different. I would be at least eight inches taller without my disability. I like my embodied experience would be so far different that I can't say that I have a disability and you take the disability away and I'm the same person which is different for a lot of different people. But for me, that's just really how, like I can't imagine what my body would be like and therefore what my experience of the world would be like if I didn't have this disability. 
Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. And I think that's one of the great things about um, I think we do this a lot in the queer community, especially where like the idea of choosing our own labels and how we choose to identify. Um, and I think, you know, whether or not we use person first language or whether or not, you know, I know people who, you know, technically maybe by definition could identify as disabled, but that word just doesn't resonate with, you know what I mean? And I think that that's really, um, it's really helpful to be able to claim a word and not have a word thrown on you, I think also. So I have a spinal cord injury. Um, with spinal cord injury, they have um, different levels of injury. So they have quadriplegia, which is um, usually when you have a cervical injury in your neck, and then you have thoracic injuries, which cause uh, paraplegia. So I'm a T6 to T8 para, and um, I'm injured from my, like, mid back down. So I lose, I have no Mm -hmm. sensation from my belly button down. No two injuries seem like they're the same, um, which I find to be really interesting. And then you have like people that have Mm. different sensation levels and stuff. So like, so some people could have like a lot of sensation in their legs still. It just really depends on how injured their spinal cord is. It's just really fascinating. Um, It's just how everything is just so different. And, um, I do identify as disabled. I, um, I mm-hmm. was injured at 18 and it's just part of it because I use a, a, I'm a wheelchair user. I use a wheelchair. I just, um, it's just part of my identity now. I, you know, it's just part of me. And, um, I'm not a, a big fan of first person either. I just kind of use, I will use person with a disability or a disabled person. I just, I'm not, I, I don't usually, um, prefer either I I don't really care you know you could use either and it doesn't bother me at all I would say that I have a disability because I've never been able to drive because of my eyesight um I am pretty much blind at night so I need assistance um and I can't there's certain things that I cannot do because Mm -hmm. of my eyesight that those who have good eyesight can. So yes, I always say that I have a visual disability. I don't know that I ever say I'm a disabled person. I just say the specific sense that I'm disabled with. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's it's interesting, like people's relationship with that word. It is. Um, because I think for a long time, like, like, I don't know, there the idea of having a disability also, like, meant that you had to have some kind of visual indicator that you had a disability. Like, when I was a kid, right? Like, you know, whenever you see, like, a handicap sign, it's, like, or accessibility stuff, it's mm-hmm. someone in a wheelchair, right? Um, and so I, I remember I have um, a couple of invisible disabilities. I have narcolepsy, and I mm-hmm. have ADHD and some things like that. And um, I was, I remember th- this specific moment I was sitting with a friend who's dyslexic, and they like said, you know, referred to themselves as a disabled person. And I was like, I can identify mm. as disabled. Like it never totally. like crossed my mind. Like I have so many, you know, I have, I have limitations and things and I never, I was always given this, this rhetoric yes. of like, you can do whatever yes. you want. You can do whatever you want because it was in invisible disabilities. And um, yeah, it's, it's really, it's interesting now that I feel like that discourse of identifying as disabled and people who don't want to mm-hmm. identify with that word, you know, how it's like a choice. It is a choice. So um, we, you touched on this a little bit already, but I'm curious, 
Um, Jessica, you, you talked about this a little bit with that question that the child asked you, but I'm curious if kids have ever asked about your disability and how would you explain your disability to a child? Sure. So I think my oldest was not even quite two yet, and we were driving in the car, and he is a very observant child, but he said, um, Daddy, you always drive and Mommy never does. Why is that? And so it was like, oh, my gosh, like I was shocked because he was so young and so observant. And so I said, well, Kellen, you have to have really good eyes to drive. And mommy doesn't have very good eyes, so I can't drive. And he's like, well, but daddy does. And I said, yes. And he's like, do I? And I'm like, yes. And you're only two, but you had a ways to go. So, <laughs> yeah. yes, that's not something you need to worry about. Like, yes. And so, you know, that was like one of the first things. And anytime he does ask me a question, I, I am honest, you know, like answering his specific question. And then, like we've talked about, if there's follow-up questions, I'll answer it. And otherwise, he just lets it go. But he is super helpful. Yeah. Like if I drop something and it blends in with the rug or the floor, and I'm like, hey, Kellen, can you come over here? I could really use your expert eyes in helping me find something, you know? And he gets really, like, you know, just excited that he gets to, like, help me figure this out. So, um, and then my youngest, who just turned three, but a couple months ago, this cracked me up, is he wanted to go somewhere. And I said, oh, buddy, we can't. It's too far away. And we're not getting together with friends today. And he's like, well, you can go in the car. And I said, no, I can't. I don't, I don't, I can't drive. And he goes, why? And I said the same thing. I was like, oh, my, my eyes just aren't working well enough for me to drive. And he goes, you need daddy to go to the store and get you new batteries. And I'm like, yes, that would be amazing. (laughs) If that would be the answer, that would be awesome. I was like, yes, something like that, buddy. But I loved it at that because he's, you know, wasn't even three yet and he wasn't. So yeah, it was super cute though. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Totally. So kids have asked, I actually practice, I trade jujitsu mm. and before I go in and I train, um, they have a, ch- a children's mm-hmm. class and it's for children. I think it's like three to nine. And the kids will come up to me and ask, ask. And usually what I say to them is that I was in a car accident and I hurt my back and now I can't walk and I have to use a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. And I usually, depending on how old the child is, I usually um, try to simplify it just depending on, you know, the age. So I might explain, um, explain it different to a six-year-old compared to a 12-year-old kid. So um, even when I used to teach, kids would always ask me and I would just explain it to them that way. I really don't mind answering. I think it's, um, I always like to educate kids so they have a better understanding of, of my disability and um, kind of, I guess not what it entails, but just why I use a wheelchair. Yeah. And I, I think also it can be nice to, I think that there's a lot of stigma around um, disabled folks and folks with disabilities and this idea that like, you're not allowed to ask any questions. You're not allowed to look, you're not allowed to. Yes. Oh, yeah. And yep. I think that kids break down that barrier because kids don't care. They'll ask you the question. They'll be like, how do you go to the bathroom? You know, they'll, they don't have Absolutely. that. And yeah. I think sometimes it can be a good mm-hmm. tool for parents to see that modeled with kids. 
um, in a way. Like I think about that a lot. And of course, like I always relate as a trans person. I feel like I just always relate (laughs) everything to my experience as a trans person. But, you know, this idea of, of I'm like, I always encourage when kids do ask, like, hey, are you a boy or a girl? And the parents standing there like, you know, like a deer in headlights, like, oh, my God. I'm like, no, that's a great question. You shouldn't assume people's genders. And, and it's kind of a teaching moment for the adult who's with them, too, sometimes, I feel like. <laughs> um, anyway, Charlie, yeah. do you have anything for that? Yeah, I think that I feel very similarly. Um, just like it's a it's a good teaching moment. And also, I'd rather you asked. Like, that's that's just a general feeling I have. Like, And I think there's also a moment, like, there's a difference between a kid saying, why do you walk that way? Or why do you walk funny? And a kid saying, you walk funny. Mm. And I think that there's a moment there that becomes a really teachable moment based on how it's been asked. Because either way, it's the same question. Kids often make fun of something when they want to know more about it. Mm-hmm. That that can be like a defense mechanism, especially for really smart kids who hit something they don't know. Um, mm-hmm. And so I find that either way that it's happened, if I have the bandwidth that day, which is also a thing, like that's that's tricky because some days, you know, I'm just trying to get to the subway. Like, <laughs> Just, you know, I, I have a million things to do. Usually um, here in New York, I found it less likely that anyone says anything uh, at any age because it is New York and people just don't care. Um, yeah, there's always I used to say when I was in New York, there's always something weirder than you. Like, yeah, 110 <laughs> percent. Yeah. So, yeah, mostly as an adult, kids don't ask a lot unless they say, why do you walk funny or something along the lines. Um, When I have the cane, sometimes that gets a few more questions, but I think the cane actually answers questions ahead of time. Mm. Like, Mm -hmm. I think I think kids are more used to seeing a cane or a crutch and being like, oh, that person needs help walking. You know, that. Yeah. As as opposed to are you walking funny, you know, quote unquote, walking funny because Mm -hmm. you hurt yourself or because you know what I mean? Like, did you just hurt yourself? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Which is actually the biggest thing I have gotten from kids, especially as a nanny when I was getting to know new kids was, oh, did you like they thought I had just fallen or just hurt myself Mm -hmm. and and like needed help because I was hurting which is very sweet and which is yeah. very like understandable. Um, the other question I get other than walk funny a lot is, does it hurt when you walk? Mm. And that used to be really weird. Cause it used to not, I used to not have chronic pain associated with my disability. Now I do. So now it's like, yeah, it does a little bit sometimes. But um, when I was younger, I especially, it would be like, no, it doesn't hurt. This is just how my body is. I was just born this way. And they were like, Oh, because it looks, I think, to a lot of kids like it would hurt. Yeah, well, usually, right, if you're limping, it's because you're in some kind of pain. You've had an injury. Like, right. in that, probably in the way that they're thinking. Because, I mean, if you're an able-bodied kid, you know, probably you're never, injuring yourself yeah. is probably the only context you have for for that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, like, the big one. And it's really funny because a lot of kids come at it with empathy. mm like, does it hurt? And they're actively concerned. Aw. Like, and it's very sweet. And it's like, no, honey, it's okay. I don't hurt. Like, <laughs> and so, yeah. I love that. Yeah, kids. Yeah. I, I've found that kids have 
more empathy than adults sometimes. Almost always. <laughs> oh my gosh. There was one time when I, um, I had been, I had gotten into an altercation, like this band just started yelling at me and I got very upset and I was crying and I was with the kid that I nannied who was about two. And, um, but, and I was like, I need, like, even, even when I'm upset, I'm like, I need to make this a teaching moment. So I turned to her and I'm like, Seth is crying because Seth is sad and whatever. And she turned to me, opened her arms and went, hug. And, I was like, <laughs> and then she patted my back and went all better. <laughs> it was like the sweetest, you know, like they, I was like, wow, you have more emotional intelligence than many adults in my life. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's amazing how they're able to, you know, yeah. come from, come from a place of empathy. Um, but I'm, I'm also, so I'm also interested for folks, um, who might be listening, who are, you know, maybe, um, grownups with kids, if a kid points out someone with a disability or maybe makes a comment like that about a stranger or someone, like, how can the grownup respond? You know what I mean? So if, if Charlie, if you're walking down the street and some kid is like that man, that person walks funny, how can the grownup respond? you know, respond to that. I think there's a spectrum of things that are appropriate. I don't think shushing a child that says, that makes like a comment, as long as they're not being like, like if a kid's being rude, which very few children are, but some children are like, especially the older kids who are like, mm. you know, seven and up ish can be doing it like from a mean place and if you're the mm-hmm. adult around that child you know when they're coming from a mean place versus a curious place and if you see a kid coming from a mean place you say hey it's true and also like we need to be respectful of people and you can say that and communicate that in a respectful way so for older kids i think it's important to be cognizant of where they're coming from with those moments mm-hmm. but especially with younger ones don't shush them don't don't take them away from that moment because they're just experiencing their world to them. It's the same thing as that's a dog. Like Mm -hmm. it's the same experience to them and they don't know why it's uncomfortable for their grown up. And if you don't make it uncomfortable for them, then they don't become uncomfortable with people with disabilities. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's key. I think that that's really important. So I think there's a moment of like, Yeah. Do you want to see if they have a minute to talk to us about it? Or yeah, everybody's body is different. Or, you know, there's, there's different ways. Like if I'm rushing on the way to the subway, like I would rather be like, yeah, everybody's like over here as, as they're in my rear view mirror, so to speak. Yeah. Everybody's body is different. Some people move a little differently. Mm -hmm. And like, that's a nice one you can just deploy in any situation. Like it's, Mm -hmm. it's never going to be wrong that everybody's body is different, you know? Um, mm-hmm. and then if it's, yeah, I love if that. it's, if I'm sitting at a picnic or something, I'm in the park and it's not like a rushing moment here, you know, hearing the adults say, do you want to hear if they have a minute to talk to you about it? Like open that door, like, like ask the kid if the kid wants to ask and then ask the adult or help the kid ask the, the person with a disability to say, Hey, my kid is curious. Do you have a minute? And respect the no. If there's a no there, then that yeah. then that needs to be, you know, it's not a disabled person's job to educate you or educate your kid in any yeah. moment. But mm-hmm. I think giving the opportunity to the kid of saying, would you like to ask? And then opening the door to see if the person with a disability wants to have a dialogue is really important. 
Yeah, I, I love that. And I love the idea of not shushing when kids ask about things that we're uncomfortable mm-hmm. about. Um, because I think that's where we gained that discomfort yes. from probably was being shushed. <laughs> um, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. And that's true about gender. That's true about disability. That's mm-hmm. true about race. Mm-hmm. That's true about yeah. like, that's true about so many things and it increases fragility in children. If they're, if they're guided away from asking questions that are honest questions, it increases the fragility mm-hmm. of their ability to uh, to encounter new things with a curious and open mind and then learn something. Yeah, I think most of us can probably think of a time where we were ashamed for just asking a question and we didn't know. Oh, my gosh. I remember the first time I asked um, my parents very innocently, what does the F word mean? And they freaked out. They Mm -hmm. freaked out. And I had no idea. To me, it was just like the word apple. I had heard it and I didn't know what it meant. Mm -hmm. And my parents got so upset with me and I was like, what did I do wrong? Mm -hmm. You know, and I was just a kid with a question. And I think when, especially when that is about things like what you were just talking about, whether it's about Mm -hmm. disability, race, about, you know, people and um, experiences and things like that, then it becomes, you know, if that like, oh, we can't talk about that. I'm not allowed to talk about disability or I'm not allowed to talk about race or I can't ask questions about that. Um, and I think that's how people grow up with ignorance and biases and things like that. Um, well, and that's another thing, Seth, about talking to your kids, right? Because your kids mirror what you do like more than you could ever imagine. And so if you're an adult walking in a grocery store with a child or anywhere, well, I'll use a grocery store for right now. And you see someone in an electronic wheelchair trying to get their groceries or in a regular wheelchair, more often than not, the parent will like see it and look away and act like that person is not, doesn't exist. When really all they want is a smile or, hey, if you need any help reaching high up on the shelf, please let me know I'm in the aisle. I'm happy to help you. Because then your kids see that. They see that like, oh no, you shouldn't be looking at this person because why? Why? It's this learned discomfort of around things that we don't know how to how to deal with. And I think that's the important thing, right? Like if we're teaching kids how to interact with people mm-hmm. with disabilities or people of, you know, yes. any, you know, people of different races, yeah. people of different genders, whatever, if we're teaching them that, then they are going to become adults who are not perpetuating those kinds of yeah. things. No, we're just you know? passing down this very unhealthy yeah. tradition yes. because that's what it's become, a very unhealthy tradition. Well, I, it's funny, though, because I remember and I have a lot of um, friends with uh, visible disabilities. And um, one time I was joking with them because I was like I was on the train and I saw this person who was a cane user and I thought they were really cute. And I was like looking at them. But then I was like, I don't want you to think I'm looking at you because you have a cane. I'm looking at you because you're really cute. Oh, my gosh. Seriously. <laughs> but, but it was funny. My friends were like, as someone who like has a cane, I can tell when someone's looking at me, like thinking I'm cute versus like staring at me. I was like, okay. Right. Yeah. But it's funny. Yeah. Cause there's, there's moments. two different looks. There's like the smiling, like admiration. <laughs> and then there's like the, the what's oh, going God, on there. Stare, you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's funny how even, even as someone who actively thinks about these things, sometimes I get caught in those situations where I'm like, I don't, you know, want this to get misinterpreted as me like staring, but I also don't want to like not look at you. Like you get in this weird, I feel the same way a lot of time around homelessness. Oh um, yes. Where people just like ignore people, but also like, you don't want to be staring. Like I usually just smile at people and this is its own topic in itself, but I feel like it's very similar. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like it's a very similar thing where you just like, 
ignore they just like it pretend is. like they don't exist. You look it's away. Very, yes, yeah. yes, totally. And it's agree. with discomfort, right? Things that we're uncomfortable about. But anyway, Jessica, do you have anything to add to that? Um, I absolutely agree with uh, what Charlie said about not shushing and encouraging. And then I also thought, I don't know, but when a disabled person maybe doesn't want to engage in that conversation, I wonder if it would be okay. I know for me, it would be okay to just be like, well, if you don't mind me asking what disability do you have so we could research it later. Do you think that would be okay for people? To yeah, ask? I think again, it's context and how much you're interrupting okay. someone's day. Well, I think it's okay. like, Charlie, like you were saying earlier, yeah. okay. if you're like rushing on your way to the subway, maybe, you know, that's not the time for someone to stop you and ask that question. If you're at a, yeah. a community picnic or something and someone happens to see, you know, and they mm-hmm. ask that question, that's like a different, you know, it's like context clues. I, I yeah. think I agree. Or maybe even if you're on the sitting on the subway or if you're mm-hmm. sitting somewhere where like you're sort of yeah. not hostage for the lack of a better word, but you know, you, you're not really going anywhere. Um you're present yes. <laughs> in a sense. Like you're not just trying to. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, I think that's that's great. Like, what is your disability or what mm-hmm. happened? Because then it's everybody's bodies are different. That person has cerebral palsy. Let's find out. Yeah, and I think also again, like you were saying, Charlie, respecting the no or respecting like, hey, I don't have the emotional energy to talk about that right now or whatever. But um, also mm-hmm. not feeling like, oh well people with disabilities are so mean. They won't talk to me about, you know, like not taking it personally. Right. Because I think sometimes we do, we take it personally if someone doesn't want to educate us. Um, And it's not, I mean, usually it's not personal. It's just, you know, I don't have the energy to talk about this or I don't feel like educating for whatever reason. Um, And so I think not taking it personally is also important. Never be afraid to say to your child, well, why don't we go ask them? Like, why don't we start a conversation? Um, and the other is, I mean, you know, you can kind of read the situation. There's some people that you wouldn't want to just go up and talk to. And the other thing is, is maybe instead of just, or you could say to the, you know, the parent could go up with the child and say, Hey, my daughter or son is curious about why you are looking at so something so closely. Do you mind, you know, telling them and just making it a light thing? Because most of the time people, I feel like who have, a disability or disabled people, right? They don't mind talking about it at all because it's mm-hmm. educating and opening their minds and opening the parents' mind as yeah. well, you know? So I feel like more oftentimes not the parent is always like, oh, we don't want to yeah. bother them. Oh, just ignore it, you know? Like, but no, it's like, let's make this an open topic and a comfortable one at that, right? Like we were saying, there's so much uncomfortable. Yeah discomfort around it so that's what I would say I would say oh or if it's another kid with a disability or even an Mm -hmm. adult you don't have to start off the conversation directly asking um like I sometimes tell my son like what is is there something about them that you like and you know he'll be like oh I like their shoes Mm -hmm. and I say okay maybe we go up and you say hey I really like your shoes and you just start a conversation and then you can ask hey do you mind if I ask you a question about your disability. So my next question is, um, I'm interested in how, you know, has your disability like affected your interactions with children as far as like, um, you know, how much or how little you're, you're able to, and how you've navigated situations where maybe you've had to say, you know, Hey, like I can't like, for example, my, um, 
my wife has depression and sometimes has to, and anxiety, and sometimes has to tell my nieces, like, hey, I don't have enough energy to run around with you right now. Like, and we'll explain that and be like, you know, I have depression, it makes me very tired, and I get very, you know, or whatever. Um, and so I'm curious in, in that aspect, if you had experiences like that? For me, it's mostly about, like, I can't run and jump mm. a lot, like those kind of things. Um, and it's not obvious to a kid that I'm not going to be able to do that necessarily. Uh, so that can be hard. And also with picking children up, I mm. can't always lift a kid. I'm actually fairly strong. Um, mm. So like if it's lifting in a stationary position, usually I can pull it mm. off. But like I can't like pick you up and run with you <laughs> or mm. or like swing you around in the air. Like, yeah. I'm short. That shouldn't look like fun to you anyway. I'm only five feet off the ground, but okay. Um, you know, so it's it's that kind of physical interaction is mostly the the thing for me. And I think that I just kind of explain it like, no, that hurts my back or that hurt, you know, mm-hmm. and like sometimes I'll get m- more into detail, but older kids usually don't have that struggle. Yeah. Because they've noticed. So it's mostly with little ones. And it's like, mm-hmm. it was so cute. A friend of mine's kid decided that the best thing to play when I was tired and jet lag was nap time. And she took me in and <laughs> brought me a toy and then walked back and forth going, shh, shh, shh. Like, so it was nice. adorable. We did 20 minutes of playing nap time and she was so proud of herself. So That's like, so kids get it. Like, if you give them enough context, they get it. Um, for me, I um, I think my son has ad- really adapted to my disability because that's all he knows. Um, he just knows a mom who uses a wheelchair. And um, there's a lot of things that I can't do. And he doesn't – I don't think he's understanding that yet because he's two and a half. Like, for example, last week we went outside and we went to the front of the house because he said outside. So we went. And he started going into the neighbor's yard. And I said to him, TJ, you can't go into the neighbor's yard um, and you need to come over here. I can't get you. And he just stood there like, why not? And it's like, because it's rock. And I, I can't um, I can't go in the rock yeah. because then my wheels freeze up. And, um, and then even in the backyard, he kind of understands a little bit in the backyard that I can't get on the, I can't go on the rock back there because it also makes my wheels freeze up. It seems like he understood that a little bit more than in the front yard. I think because going yeah. into the front yard is kind of new for him. But I, I think it's so, it's so awesome though, like that kids are able to, even at a young age, make those kinds of connections, mm. right? That they're able to see like, oh, like yes, mom can't, absolutely. you know that's not a comfortable space for her to be over here near the rocks. And um, I, I think that we, I say this a lot, but I feel like we don't give kids enough credit sometimes for how much they are able to understand and, and mm-hmm. like putting those expectations, like even just saying like, Hey, come back. I can't, you know, and then I can't go over there and expecting them to understand. I think, right. They're not always going to, but a lot of times they'll surprise yeah. you <laughs> um with their capacity to understand even at, you know, age two or things like that. And that's one of the things where like, we can't like Mm -hmm. restricting children's access to information is not the same as making information age appropriate. And I feel like a lot of people default to just restricting information Mm -hmm. rather than like finding a way to make it age appropriate Mm -hmm. for kids. Yeah. Like it's an adult topic. It's not, it's an everybody topic. Mm -hmm. And 
I don't, I truly believe that there is nothing that is an adult topic. I think that you can explain anything, literally anything to kids at an age appropriate level. It's just about, like we were saying earlier, they're not looking for a 20 page dissertation about it. They just want a quick and honest answer. And I think that we can give that about pretty much anything. um, A few years ago, my neighbor was on the news and um, she had Mm -hmm. to go away for a while. She had to go to prison. And because she uh, was drunk and she um, hit a car Mm. and then she hit a person. And um, I said to my neighbor and her son at the time was probably Mm -hmm. 10. And um, I said, oh, did you hear about the neighbor? And she said, I did. And Jonathan goes, well, wait, what happened? She goes, Jonathan, that's an adult topic. And it made me think of that. And I thought oh, maybe I shouldn't have said something. And then I thought, I wonder if they ever explained why the neighbor was gone for a while. And if Jonathan noticed that the neighbor was gone, she was gone for a couple of years. And um, it just made me think of that. Like, how would I explain that to my my child? um, If my child asked, like, why is the neighbor gone or you know, what happened. And um, that just made me think yeah. of that, even though that was about five years ago. But sometimes I'll, I'll think of that occasionally. I'll be like, wait, how would I have word, worded that? And how would have I, why, how would I have explained, explained that to my son? So I think, I mean, in that particular situation, I think it's a little easier, but in general, I used to have a family who, it gets complicated when you talk about prison sometimes, I think, because there, you know, there's a whole, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for privilege aspect and people, you know, who aren't are in prison who maybe shouldn't be. And you know, there's a whole thing there in general, but in this case, well, right. It's stigmatizing. I, yes. And, but in this case, I used to have a family who would say when we would talk about, I don't know, honestly, I don't know why we were talking about it often. I, maybe the kid was playing and he'd be like, you're a bad guy. You're going to jail or something like that. And mm-hmm. the parents would say, you know, use the language of, oh, well, you know what? Sometimes, you know, grownups or sometimes people don't, they make bad choices. And if you, you make a bad choice, then sometimes you you have to go to prison. Um, and that was sort of the language that they would use, yeah. which I mean, isn't, again, is it's complicated. But in this situation, it was like, well, maybe this, mm-hmm. this grownup didn't, you know, make a good choice and somebody got hurt. And, you know, when that happens, mm-hmm. sometimes you have to go to prison. Yes. Um, yeah. But it is hard, and it depend right depending on the age level, right? You might give more or less information. Because um, if a kid was older, you might even be able to bring like right the alcohol aspect into it, or drunk driving, or things things like that. Um, but but I and I think emphasizing that like being in prison doesn't make you a bad person mm-hmm. also is important. Because yeah. um, there's definitely a lot of stigma around around that for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, absolutely. But I think, yeah, just trying to find ways to be honest without giving too much, like more than they need, not like to not give them enough information, but sometimes it's just like they don't need all the information or they don't even want it. You know, they're just looking for kind of a simple answer. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's I don't know. And that would be. I think it's especially and, you know, bringing it back to disability, I think it's always good to start with a simple answer and see if they have more questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because. With a lot of kids, like if you give them everything at once, they can't even take it in. And so they don't feel like their question got answered, even though you did just give them a 20 page dissertation. <laughs> They're like, yeah, but what, but how do you go to the bathroom? Like, it'll come yeah. back to that thing. And like, <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Yeah, for sure. All right, it's about time for some announcements. So first of all, thank you as always for tuning in. I'm really excited to be back. I hope that y'all enjoyed our new segment, Way to Go and Room to Grow with Rebecca and Crystal. I'm really excited to be working with them and we have another segment for you coming up next week about visible disabilities and some awesome books about that. So I also did an unboxing of my first shift book box that I got and you can find that on our brand new YouTube channel. Uh, you can find the video also on our Facebook page as well. And basically I opened up my shift book box and just sort of went through all of the great things that were in it so you can get an idea of what is going to be in your shift book box when you subscribe. As always, you can follow us at Bradchild Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can reach out to us on bradchildpodcast.com or you can email us at bradchildpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, if you're interested in being a guest on the website, um, there is a, a form under the contact us. So you can absolutely fill that out and be a future guest. We also just launched some brand new rewards on our uh, Patreon. So if you donate as little as $1 a month, um, we have tiers for everything from $1 to $100 a month and just about everything in between. Uh, so if you make a monthly donation, you can get things like bloopers, um, you can get access to our Discord channel, which is basically you can chat with other people, uh, other fans, you can chat with me if you don't get enough of me already from being here. Um, uh, things like care packages, so you can get um, fun things like stickers, buttons, little notes, uh, and fun little surprises sent to you in the mail straight from me. Um, you can also be a part of our uh, book club. So basically every other month I will send you in the mail, in addition to other fun care package goodies, you will get a book um, that we mention on the show, one of the books that we talk about on the show. And there's also even you can get personalized book recommendations from me. So you tell me a little bit about your kid and I'll give you some personalized book recommendations. Um, so there's tons of awesome rewards. Uh, feel free to check us out. It really, really helps us out um, to be able to, you know, just cover our costs really and keep doing this. Okay, two more quick things. Um, the first of which is that there's a really awesome new podcast coming out called Activist You, and it's with Linz Amer, who you might know them from. They have a really cool uh, YouTube channel called Queer Kids Stuff, which I absolutely recommend you check out. Um, so real quick about Queer Kids Stuff, it's a YouTube channel where um, Linz basically goes on and does videos about, they're aimed towards kids themselves, about explaining different sort of queer terminology and different things. They're really phenomenal. And this new podcast, Activist You, is uh, all about youth activists. And so each episode Linz is gonna have on some youth activists talking about the work that they're doing really really cool it's going to premiere um uh, the trailer is going to premiere on january 6th so definitely look out for that you can follow them uh at queer kid stuff uh or at lynn's aimer that's l-i-n-d-z-a-m-e-r on twitter for updates and information about that uh and lastly um you've heard me talk about shift book box now you can actually hear the founders talk about it uh, so i'm gonna let rebecca and crystal take over Do you wish more picture books truly reflected your family's values? Have you ever thought you found the perfect book, but when you got it home, it completely missed the mark? 
Shift Book Box is a picture book subscription service for kids ages 3 to 8, built around themes of social justice and centering diverse characters and creators. Each box features two beautiful picture books as well as expertly crafted discussion guides. We know that families want to engage kids in conversations about social justice topics, and we recognize how challenging it can be to find the right books and to feel supported in having these conversations. We find the books, we provide the prompts, you get both delivered to your door. Subscribe today at shiftbookbox.com and use the code RADCHILD, RADCHILD. all one word, RADCHILD, RADCHILD. for 10% off your first order. Shift Book Box, curating little libraries, cultivating big change. And on that note, let's get back to the show. So I'm also um, interested in talking a little bit about ableism and how, I mean, I guess for folks who might not know how, first of all, could you just give give me a little snippet of a definition of how you would define ableism. Um, and uh, how do we talk to kids about that? So ableism is in, in very broad terms, how the world is not configured to deal with your disability. And that puts a burden on you as a disabled person. Mm. I think that's, I think that's a, a, simple enough, broad enough definition to cover a lot of different ways. And there can be like institutional ableism, like not requiring all subway stations to have elevators is Mm -hmm. institutional ableism. And there's like smaller things that are individually at the individual level. And then there's internalized ableism of, I should be able to blah, but I can't because of this disability and Mm -hmm. I'm going to punish myself with that. So there's there's different ways that that affects the world. It's similar to homophobia. There's yeah. institutional, interpersonal, and then internal. Sure. So um, sure. lots of lots of depth there, mm-hmm. and that's how it affects people. It's it's a constant fact of the day that you're going to probably hit something that triggers an ableism response. And I guess how, um, like maybe if you're in a situation where let's say a kid, uh, you know, not thinking about like a lot of, I mean, even adults, um, don't think about sometimes when they're using ableist language, for example. So if a kid was like, oh, that's so lame, or, you know, maybe, you know, that's crazy or saying something like that, how would you approach, um, calling that out in a gentle, in a gentle way and short from an educational perspective? I think I'm less sensitive to language around disability. Like I, mm, I just here. don't care. Um, at one point, someone in high school in a very heated argument threw out the word cripple. And that was very upsetting in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was not okay about it in that moment. But like in general, if it's like, that's so lame or whatever, it usually doesn't hit me. Mm. And I don't know if that's just because I have a thicker skin because of growing up with it or because I grew up in a really rural area where, frankly, everyone used really ableist language all the time. And I was like, <laughs> you just got to deal with it because if you don't, you're not going to be able to get through the day. Like, it's a battle I'm not willing to spend energy to fight. Yeah. So that's kind of my experience with language around that. And it's the same for me as well. Language doesn't really bother me. Um, 
when people say certain things, it just doesn't. I don't usually correct them. Um, I just kind of, just because it doesn't bother me. I mean, I guess, well, disability related, no. There, I mean, I guess if people use like the R word, mm, I might say yeah. that's not a very kind word to use. Um, people who have uh, intellectual disabilities don't like that word. They like intellectually disabled instead. And that's like the only thing that I'll, I'll correct. I, I think that my sort of method, especially with language, is like I will still fall into it sometimes, especially with crazy. That's one that I struggle with a lot. And um, I... I think that in, as opposed to calling other people out, I call myself out. Like I'll say, you know, oh my God, that was so crazy. I mean, it took a long time or like I'll, mm-hmm. I'll reframe, I'll stop myself and I will reframe my sentence. Mm-hmm. And yes. I think that, you know, again, as an educator, I think a lot about modeling things um, yes. because I, I know, and I mean, it has happened to me before, like a very good friend of mine. I remember the first time that I said that's so lame and they pointed out um, they also have cerebral palsy and they pointed out to me um, that, you know, that was ableist. And I was like, Oh, I never thought about that before. Thank you. Mm -hmm. But I think again, a lot of people can feel like attacked if you Mm -hmm. point or they take it very personally, if you point things out to them and especially right again, it's context. Um, So if we're in a group of friends, I might not be like, that's so able, you know, (laughs) I might pull them aside or text them or tell them another time. Um, But I, so for me, it's, it feels more comfortable to do it in, you know, unless, like you said, unless someone is saying the R word or something that is like very mm-hmm. problematic that I'm like, whoa, you know, yeah. um, I sort of just will model it by uh, using it myself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think yes, it's another absolutely. helpful and way I to do that. Just thinking about mm-hmm. this, I used to absolutely. babysit a kid who had downs, epilepsy, and also some physical stuff. She was a, she had a lot going on. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah. I don't remember this ever actually happening, but I think yeah. I would have had a much different reaction to someone saying something negative to or about her. I would have mm. dove in mm-hmm. front of that like nobody's business and been like, you cannot talk mm-hmm. about people that way. That is not acceptable. That is unkind. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think there's a level of like, I'm willing to tolerate this for myself because it doesn't cause a negative thing for me, but mm-hmm. I would not tolerate it for someone who was not able or not willing to stand up for themselves, who it did bother. Like I would, I would jump in front of that for someone else, like immediately if it was something that mattered to them. Yeah, absolutely. I I feel the same way I used to nanny a little girl who um, had a lot of different things going on. And one of which was that she wore a hearing aid and sometimes people would like, (laughs) Dude, it's not funny, but it's funny because it's a stupid thing where they like yell at people who are deaf. As if that's going to help. Like that makes, like, can you hear me now? Like, and I, you know, and uh, or they would say things like, like she only had a very mild hearing loss. And um, mm-hmm. so they would be like, it's so amazing that she speaks. And I'd be like, not really. Like, it's, she has a very mild hearing loss. Like, you know, and. And so I think sometimes I would call out, and again, in a gentle way, those assumptions or things like that. I'd be like, you don't need to yell. She can, she can hear you. And if she couldn't, yelling wouldn't help. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah true. You know? Um, but, I, but again, I think, yeah, sometimes it's different, right? If someone's just like, oh, that, that you know, baseball game was so lame, as opposed to if, you know, they were throwing that word at yeah. someone, that would be very different. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. So – 
uh, something at like I so I have um I have ADHD and growing up something that my parents used to say a lot was like you can do anything you want you can do anything and uh as I got as I got older I sort of came to this place where I was like well actually I can't do anything I have certain limitations and I you know I found that rhetoric actually hurt me uh, in the long run because I think I was holding myself to standards that weren't realistic for me. And so I'm curious personally if you feel like that you can do anything mentality is like hurtful or harmful. I had the same experience as you with mm-hmm. that. Um, and it's funny because my mother who is wonderful and like made sure that I had so much access and so much uh, Just for context, I was born uh, before my parents got married. My mother was not expecting a baby and Mm. like was on birth control and somehow magically got pregnant and literally went into labor without knowing she was going to have a baby. It was one of those crazy Oh my gosh. Yeah. So like that's probably quote unquote why I have CP is like she had no cognizance that she had a baby happening uh that she was pregnant and uh therefore had no prenatal care and you know big scary stuff going on and I was very premature so Mm. um so she was amazing and did so many amazing things but one of the things she did was you can do anything and I really would struggle with it because like I think there's a difference between you can do anything and you can do anything like everyone else can Mm. and yeah I can ride horses and I could do gymnastics and like there I could be a ballroom dancer there are people with disabilities that are ballroom dancers but I can't be a ballroom dancer like the ballroom dancers I was seeing on tv Mm -hmm. like so you can do that too or you can do anything usually isn't followed up with we can find a way for you to do that Mm -hmm. and it's like it's gonna be different (laughs) um and I find that like, it's usually not, it's sort of not interrogated enough. Like, yeah, yeah you can pretty yeah. much do anything, but like, I can't be an astronaut. They won't let me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not allowed to donate blood because I'm too short. This is a true fact. Yeah. yeah. Yep. <laughs> I'm not even on like the chart starts at a height, maybe like 411 or something. I'm 49. Like it doesn't even wow. start there. <laughs> oh my gosh. So I find it to be harmful because it's not realistic to say that there's certain things like for me, I can't do, like I can't become a police officer. Mm-hmm. Um, I was told that I could do, I growing up that I could do anything as well. And when I first got hurt, I first got injured, I wanted to become a nurse and mm. um, my school I guess somebody in the local community gave me a scholarship and I went to the school I went to Pace University and I said, I want to do mm. the nursing program. And they told me no. Wow. And I said, well, they said, because you can't do clinicals. So you can't do anything. I mean, now I'm starting to see people with disabilities, like wheelchair users, um, becoming nurses. That's and there wild are, that they told there, you that. Exactly. And there are things I could be, a, I could have been a wound care nurse. So I'm like, um, I don't understand why they told me that. And quite a few schools, because I went to, pace um and then another like it was a um uh, in the hospital one of our local hospitals in new york um in like yonkers new york um they had a school of nursing and they told me they would take me 
um, but I still would not be able to do clinicals. I'm like, because um, I couldn't change a bed, I couldn't move a patient, mm. and so that's where it was kind of harmful because I kind of thought, here I am, newly injured. What am I gonna do? Yeah, yeah. And then I thought about becoming a physical therapist, and they told me I couldn't do that either because you had to walk <laughs> to do it. So I'm like, well, that's kind of harmful. You can't, you know, I can't be a PT. So, um, yeah, it's just with certain things, it's, you know, and then also I got, when I was first injured, well, if you keep doing physical therapy, you're going to walk again. And people, people, you know, do all this physical therapy. Like there's a girl that I know um, who I met, oh, probably about 17 years ago. And she's been injured about 26 years and she's been trying to walk for 26 years, and there's really no pro- progress, unfortunately, because of that mindset yeah. of you can do anything. Well, I think this is also making me think a lot about, quote unquote, like inspiration porn um, and where we're seeing a lot of, the, you know, a lot of these stories of like miraculous stories of people mm-hmm. with disabilities who are able, you know, yes. who have, um, you know, or maybe you're injured and then you're still, you can still go out and be a surfer and you know, you can do this and you can still go out and then they manage to overcome. And, and I think that, I mean, and while those stories are obviously valid um, and important, I think that that is a lot of times all all of what we're seeing. Yeah. We're just seeing those stories. Um, And, and I think that that can be a harmful too. And I think it's important to say who is the audience for those, because frequently it's Mm -hmm. able-bodied people who want to feel good. Yep. Like that doesn't, I don't care. Like, great. Live your life. I don't care about any (laughs) random surfer. So why do I care if you're surfing and you use a wheelchair? Like, I don't care. Um, (laughs) But like, I, that's one of the things that I really struggled with was everything I did was held to this. It's extraordinary. And I'm no, I'm a person. I'm fine. I'm like, it's not, just getting yeah. through my day. <laughs> and, and I think that that's really harmful. And it's alongside that you can do anything. Like, it's not extraordinary that I did all these things. Like, mm-hmm. I want to be known as extraordinary for the things that actually took effort, perseverance, you know, intelligence, mm-hmm. forethought, whatever it was that it took. Like, if it really took something, yeah. that's great. But I don't want to be your inspiration just for like, managing to get down the mm-hmm. sidewalk. I don't like that. And I don't think that's healthy. Yeah. yeah. So um, we were talking a little bit earlier about how there's a lot of stigma around disabilities about like, don't look at people, don't point, don't talk, you know, don't say anything, that kind of stuff. And so for maybe um, for able-bodied folks, what are some ways that, you know, they can be allies and help to end that stigma. We talked about this a little bit, but um, you know, maybe if we're in a situation with a child or even if they're just alone and they, you know, they see someone and they're like, Oh, I can't look at them. Um, I, like I said, I think just like getting, making it a comfortable conversation to have uh, and mm-hmm. getting mm-hmm. rid of this yeah. constant um, look away attitude, you know? Um and just being like promoting education yeah, and sure. awareness in general, and then promoting that within your children and within your home. Yeah. I think really that's, and making it a, like a, any other conversation, like, no, not as common as like, how's the weather, but you know, like, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Where it's not like, like you said, there's, so there's not so much of a stigma around it. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think Mm -hmm. one of the things that I'm like, I'm I'm a big proponent of children's books and just like having books, you know, have books about characters that include characters with disabilities. Um, There's a really good book called um, Roxy the Raccoon. That's about a a little raccoon who's in a wheelchair. (laughs) And it's like, she goes to all her, all her friends' houses and at first, you know, or like her friends, let's say they're playing a game and she can't play the game because it, you know, involves kicking a ball or like she can't go to her friend. Her friend is a beaver and, or like, you know, the house isn't accessible. And then like at the end, the friends all like make the things accessible to her. Um, Cause you know, she points out like, Hey, I can't be involved in this. Um, So like, having books like that or even books where there happen to be like there's I think I mentioned this in like every episode because it's the only example I've ever seen of this but there's a book called Belle's Knock Knock Birthday it's by a great publisher called Flamingo Rampant Um, and there's just a character in in a book who has a hearing aid like it has nothing to do with the story they're just someone who's at a party and has a hearing aid you know what I mean but like that books that have or media that has those kind of um inclusive representation so kids aren't seeing someone in a wheelchair and going i have never seen that before what is that um, yeah i think I don't know. not shushing is the biggest one we can do for kids because i think that's the most damaging across the mm-hmm. board about anything like and saying we're gonna talk about this later in like a calm yeah. normal tone of voice is very different than shushing like if it's something where it's like this is not a public conversation mm-hmm. then like that's something different and you know your kid and you should you know make that choice so that both of you can have whatever conversation you need to have. But like shushing and like immediately yeah. shutting down conversations is the biggest one, I think. And then also just as an adult, like as another person in the world, I think there's an assumption that a lot of disabled folks are helpless. And it's like, I've got the door. Mm. I'm actually using it to counterbalance my body weight right now. Like, I don't need you to grab it from mm. me. Or like those kind of things like just being aware of like and I think there's a there's just I think and I say this a lot to everyone is like if you want to help a person with a disability that you see that looks like they might be struggling the best thing for you to do is say hey do you need a hand with anything and then listen to that response and do what they ask yep Mm -hmm. absolutely I used to have, I had a friend who people will just take their, I don't know if this ever happens to you, Jessica, but people will just like take their chair and just push them. And they were like, don't, please don't do that. Like that wildly invasive. Anyway, Jessica, do you have anything to add to that? Um, Another thing is just, you know, for able-bodied people to like educate themselves about disabilities. Cause you know, every, I put on here, let's see, I like took some notes um just to educate people i think that's important for people to educate themselves and um, Mm. what i try to do is i try to educate people about just disabilities and especially being a parent with a disability because a lot of people have Mm. this preconceived notion that people with disabilities shouldn't have children they can't have children um i had a i was watching a lady i was friends with kids and she mm-hmm. has arthrogryposis which is a muscular disability where her hands it's like the muscle fibers don't form because there's it the wound womb is too enclosed when the mother's pregnant mm. can't move so her hands are um like inverted in and like she has no use of her hands and her husband has cerebral palsy and mm-hmm. i was walking with her two kids she had kids like 
I think they're like 14 months apart. And this little girl, mm. well, she wasn't a little girl. She was a teenager. But to me, she was a little girl, said to me, <laughs> or said to her friends, they're probably accidents. No. And I was, oh my God. I wanted to turn around and belt her. <sighs> I did. I really did. And I, my friend's kid was, was, was there. And the kid was like probably about 18 to 20 months old. I was like, I can't do that. And like, you've got to be kidding me with this ignorance. I mean, you wouldn't want somebody to be ignorant to you. And like just that ignorance from people just made me learn to stick up for myself and to say something and to not remain quiet and not to be, you know, I was raised to be respectful. I mean, I'm not going to mm-hmm. stay quiet and I'm not going to be they respectful for people like that because you well. need to educate. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Respect earns respect. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh my God. <laughs> Absolutely. So I, I won't do that. And I just think that's so important to educate, you know, parents to educate themselves or people to educate themselves and to educate their children. And people don't do that. And it's just yeah. so disappointing. And even, um, I mean, there's so many resources on social media to educate people. Um, yep. and there's, you know, the mighty.com and they have articles mm-hmm. and even on scary mommy, they have articles about mm. disabilities and stuff. I just think it's just really important to have that. So people are educated and hopefully, you know, open their minds to be educated too. Cause I've just noticed there is a lot of ableism out there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um so my last question uh before i wrap things up is just um do you have any recommendations i know you actually jessica you mentioned a couple of websites but do you have any recommendations for either it could be resources for educating yourself educating children could be children's books uh that are books about disability or things that you found helpful um anything like that um for for okay, so I have Mama Zooms by Jane Cohen Fletcher, and it's just about a mom in a wheelchair, and it's just a really great book to educate kids just on parents with disabilities and um, just being a parent with a disability. And then there's the money.com, they also have a Facebook page, and that's um, they have different. One, so they have uh, just the mighty and then disability on the mighty. I think mental health on the mighty. Mm. Um, And that's on Facebook. Those are different, like separate, um, I'm trying to see, um, different, like separate Facebook um, pages. And um, and then they have autism on the mighty as well, because my friend Mm. um, follows that one. And they just have some really great articles on there um i can't think of any other resources um offhand right now so i have my own website blog called thrive with disability and it is for parents who have disabilities Mm -hmm. and they're 
family and community and anyone really just to bring education and awareness to being a parent with a disability and different disabilities. And on my website, I do have a bunch of resources by that's broken up by health condition and disability. Um, Oh my gosh, that's amazing. So thrive with disability. (laughs) Um, Amazing. Is it dot dot com? Yes. Um, okay, and there's great. already quite a few stories from, there's a few from me, but different people. I have a couple hearing, um, health, like, um, in, in visible health conditions. Um, I have a couple moms working on some others. I've had a dad, right. Who has an, um, upper army amputee. Um, his mm. wife wrote a story from her perspective, you know, so it's actually been great. It's, We've, we are having more and more of a following and, and I feel like people are learning a lot based off this. So it's very real and honest, yeah. honest that's and awesome. raw yeah. and sometimes uplifting and sometimes not. And that's the point is to be really real about yeah. it and make it a comfortable yeah. conversation. Well, I think that's something that's also really important is that not every story is going to be mm-hmm. some happy inspiration story, yeah. right? Like living with disability isn't always this fun and yeah. you know well and honest in order to feel comfortable you have to be comfortable with a scary word yeah vulnerability yeah. right and how hard is it for people to have that I mean it's really really hard to be to be vulnerable so I especially in this day and age when you have like this social media lifestyle where everything has yep. to look perfect all I know. the time you know? So, um, it's also that that's what I'm also trying to promote is like, let's be real. Let's be vulnerable. Let's not be scared. Let's like be create courageous. And so that's the other thing is, is if anyone who's listening to this, you, you are a parent with a disability and you're interested in sharing your story. I absolutely invite that because, um, it's really important. Yeah, absolutely. And well, um, I'll share, we can make a post and share that info too for sure yeah um I before we get going I just wanted to ask um I don't know if either of you have any projects or things that you're doing working on that you want to plug uh or anything in general that you want to plug um and other than that we're good to go um I don't I mostly work on tech nonsense that is not immediately relevant to most folks. Um, but if you think I'm funny, you can follow me on Twitter at Charlie Starling and yeah. And sometimes I post disability stuff. So if that is vaguely entertaining to you, feel free. And I'm not working on anything right now either. Um, I'm not really on Instagram or not on Instagram on Twitter. Um, but I do have Instagram if anybody would like to follow me. Um, my Instagram is, um, hold on, let me pull it up. It is, um, mama, M-A-M-A to T-J-R 318. Um, I also train jujitsu if anybody is interested in following me about, with my jujitsu journey. I'm interested in following your jujitsu journey. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you y'all so much for joining me today. I really, really appreciate you uh, taking the time out of your day. And um, I hope that you have uh, a good one for the rest of it. (laughs) So before we end the episode today, I actually just wanted to add a little something that we didn't really get a chance to talk about. There's something when we're talking about disability that you may or may not have heard of called spoon theory. 
And basically, spoon theory is the idea that every day, um, when you wake up in the morning, everyone has a certain amount of energy, and we're quantifying that energy by imagining that they're spoons. <laughs> so when I wake up, I might have 10 spoons, and my wife, um, because she has depression uh, and anxiety, she might only wake up with four spoons. And we both still have to get through the day and different activities um, might take different spoons. So getting out of bed might take one spoon. Um, washing the dishes might take one spoon, right? So it's this idea that um, some of us have more spoons than others and it might be more difficult for those of us with different disabilities to get through the day and to do things when we have less spoons and we have to maybe decide how to use those. So for example, someone with depression might come off as lazy because they're choosing not to spend one of their four spoons on washing the dishes, they'd rather spend that, you know, um, maybe doing something for themselves, or maybe they even, maybe not, maybe they need to spend that taking a shower instead. Um, all of those things, even just daily tasks can take up spoons. So I just, I wanted to share this idea and this theory. I think that it's something that's really easy to explain to kids, especially if you physically get spoons out. Um, I think that it's something that they can grasp. And I just think it's a really good teaching tool. And even for grownups, I know I personally use it a lot saying, you know, I'm low on spoons or I'm spoonless, um, terminology like that. And I just thought that uh, folks might find that helpful. So I wanted to share it since we didn't get a chance to talk about it during the episode. All right. Um, and oh, and I encourage you to do your own research on it as well. I'll link some uh, some articles in the show notes. All righty. So that's it for me. Uh, as always, have a wonderful week and I can't wait to see you next time. Hi, I'm Tefera Jemian, one of the hosts of Yeah, a podcast on the Upford Network. We're talking about young adult literature, reviewing new releases, revisiting old classics, and exploring what the YA genre can teach us at any age. Join me and my co-host, Hannah Bailey, as we talk about friendships, dating, family relationships, sexuality, experiences of queerness, body politics, and more through the lens of our favorite YA novels, as well as books we're just discovering. The Yeah Podcast, available through the Upford Network, and on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and wherever else you find your podcasts. This is our book club, and you're invited. Hey, I'm Aaron Lakoff, host of Changing on the Fly, a brand new podcast on the Upford Network. Changing on the Fly is a podcast that dives deep into the intersections between hockey and social justice. We take on issues of sexism, racism, and homophobia on the ice. You'll hear from athletes, activists, fans, scholars, and even musicians who love hockey but want to keep the jerks out of the game. Think Colin Kaepernick or Serena Williams, but with skates and less teeth. It's your perfect antidote to Don Cherry and Coach's Corner. Hey Don, what do you think of changing on the fly? Not the left-wing pinkle media, bleeding hearts guys. What are you, nuts? Anyways, you can find Changing on the Fly wherever you get your podcasts, or visit us online at changingonthefly.podcast.wordpress.com.